0: This is the Purpose Church podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. All right. Well, good morning and welcome. We are so glad you are here today. And on behalf of Landon and myself, if you are here for the very first time, we just want to welcome you again. We're so glad that you are here with us today. We are in part three of a series called Easter People. In part one, Pastor Landon took us through the story of this amazing Easter person, Mary Magdalene. And we got to look at her from a perspective that was fascinating and compelling. And then that last week we talked about inviting Jesus into the middle of our fear, into the middle of um, our issues, into the middle of our suffering. And what can happen when we invite Jesus into the middle of it is that everything can change. And today I'm excited to share with you one of my newly found favorite Bible characters and his name is Joseph from Arimathea. And as Lane and I were just talking about this message series, I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to Thomas or Joseph of Arimathea, I was texting him. And then I realized that my phone had automatically changed Arimathea to aromatherapy. <laughs> and so if I accidentally say, Joseph from aromatherapy, just know that I'm not crazy. It just got, it got locked in wrong. If I meet somebody and they're like, they're not like, oh, call me Dan, Danny, Daniel. Either one is fine. Like, no, I need to know because what gets locked in it's staying locked in. Like I got to wire it right the first time, you know, it's hard to go back and, and fix that. So Joseph of Arimathea, I've been calling him aromatherapy as a joke and it's gonna be, a, the joke's on me because I'm gonna accidentally actually call him aromatherapy. So this is not Joseph of the Old Testament. You may be familiar with Joseph of the Old Testament who had the coat of many colors. His brothers were jealous of him and threw him into slavery. And then he becomes the prime minister of Egypt and saves people. That's a really fun Joseph. This is not that Joseph. And then there's Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Amazing guy. Decides to keep his wife, even though she's like, it was the Holy Spirit. And he's like, I'm just not so sure. And uh, so much so that an angel of the Lord had to come and be like, "She's, she's all right. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not that Joseph. A couple of great Josephs. But this is Joseph from Arimathea. And he's almost an obscure footnote kind of guy. And in fact, we never hear from him. He never speaks. We never see him after this moment. We don't see him much before, but we do. And we'll kind of find those shadows where he was. And yet he has a profound impact on the Easter story. And we're gonna look at just exactly why and how he's an Easter person and what it means for us as Easter people. And so we see Joseph mentioned in all four of the gospels. What are the gospels? The gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And we see different eyewitness accounts from each of these four individuals and they write of their experiences. And the eyewitness accounts of of the writers of the New Testament are so important. In fact, John, at the end of his book, he says, he says, I wrote all of these things down because I have personally seen the miracles Jesus with my own eyes, and I want you to know that these are true. These are some of them. And if I were to write them all down, John says, there wouldn't be enough books in the entire world to contain all the miracles that Jesus has done, but I wrote these down so that you may believe. And there are some stories that John tells. And so it's kind of like, imagine you and three of your friends go to college together and then all four of you tell about your experiences in college. There'll be some moments that that one person shares or that two people or three people. And then there'll be those moments where all four of you were at the same place at the same time, living through the same moments and it impacted you greatly. Like you would all write about those things. The gospels are that way. They're different eyewitness accounts that have been corroborated over and over again. In fact, the, the evidence is so astounding. Even the secular historical texts that corroborate the, the evidence and the validity of the Easter story and of Jesus is so compelling that there are a number of athe- former atheist writers out there who sought to disprove Christ, but could not because the evidence is just so overwhelming. And we're going to look at one of the main contributors to some of the evidence that has been found. And then to imagine the story without this guy, it it would have been totally different. And, And that would be of Joseph. But Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned in all four Gospels. All four gospels mention him. There are a total of like 16 verses about him. We never hear from him. And yet he contributes the entire setting of the Easter story, like two thirds of the Easter story. And so even if you're here for the very first time, maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe you've been around for a while. Most people just culturally understand at least the three major parts of the Easter story. May not really know the who, the what, the why, the where and how and all of that. But we understand largely as a culture that there was the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And Joseph of Arimathea greatly impacts the burial and the resurrection. This one guy, almost an obscure kind of guy. And so I'm excited to share, with him, share him with you today. And so to set the scene of Joseph, today's Palm Sunday, it would symbolize it's the day where Jesus comes into town It begins Passion Week. And within Passion Week, there were the events of where Jesus is betrayed by Judas that led to his arrest, that led to the trial, that led to him being crucified. And it's after Jesus is crucified that we meet Joseph. So it's before the resurrection and yet it's after he's crucified. He comes in, we see Joseph introduced to us at the most intense part of humanity's greatest drama ever, the most intense part. So people who loved Jesus, who followed Jesus, we call it Good Friday. It was not a good Friday for them. It was, a, it was a bad day for them. And we're gonna see it mentioned in all four gospels that it says it was the day of preparation, which meant that they were getting all the things ready on that Friday because the next day would have been Sabbath and everything in Jewish culture came to a screeching halt on the day of Sabbath, day of Sabbath because they had to rest. So all all of this is leading up to that. And we see that Jesus who was beloved was falsely accused. He was beaten, he was tried, he was crucified, had to carry his own cross. He's brutally murdered. They've got the crown of thorns on his head. They've got him on the cross, they're mocking him. The thing that finally takes his life is the spear in his side. And the Bible says that blood and water flowed. And then Jesus dies. And after the death of Jesus, there were some miraculous events that happened that demonstrated God's power. Some of those things happened. The Bible says that the earth went dark for three hours after the death of Jesus, that the entire earth went completely dark. And this was astounding to people who were like, I'm not so sure if he is who he says he is or not. And then these demonstrations of power happened and the Bible records, I think in almost every gospel that even one of the Roman centurions, who by the way, would have been, who we would consider some of the bad guys. And some of these stories we've been like, hey, where are the good guys? And we're gonna read a story today. Joseph and his friend Nicodemus would have been in the bad guy camp. And I just think it's such a picture of humanity that good people sometimes do bad things and sometimes bad people can be taken and redeemed and restored and be used by God for his glory. It's just a human condition. We're all in need of Jesus. We all need him. And so we see this with, with Joseph. And so he's crucified. The earth goes dark for three hours. And the Bible says that the temple curtain was torn in two. And we're like, oh, a curtain, like not a big deal. We think of maybe just like a piece of fabric, but it wasn't that way. It was a heavy duty. It was a miraculous a tearing of the curtain. The Bible says from top to bottom. But it wasn't just that the curtain in the temple was torn. The the curtain tearing in the temple symbolizes now there's no barrier between us and God because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus that covers us and forgives us of our sins. Now we have access to a relationship with God because this is how he sees us. He doesn't see me in my sin. He sees me through the blood of Jesus and I can now come to him as that. That's what the temple curtain tearing into symbolizes. And the Bible says this, This is fascinating. And if we're not careful, we quickly read over some of these things that actually carry a lot of depth. The Bible says that there was an earthquake that caused rocks to split. And and the Roman centurion who was witnessing these things, and he would have been in the bad guy camp, he actually he witnesses these things and he says, Jesus, he was Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. It was these demonstrations of power that were convincing Romans and the people who had been following Jesus. So there was an earthquake that caused rocks to split and get this. There was also one of the demonstrations of God's power following the death of Jesus was that there were tombs that were broken open and dead people raised to life. They walked out of their tombs and into the city. I wanna remind you, this is pre-resurrected Jesus. These demonstrations of power were following the death of Jesus, but before his own resurrection, there were these amazing demonstrations of God's power. Dead people raised to life, tombs broken open, they walk into the city and appear to many people. That's enough to convince a lot of people. It's an amazing story. So it's at that six of them after the death of Jesus, after after the betrayal, the arrest, the trials. There were six of them, which we'll look at after the trial of Jesus and these demonstrations of power. And then we're introduced to Joseph. And because the texts are so short around Joseph, we're actually going to look at all four gospels that teach us about Joseph, and we're just going to extract the things that we learn from him. And really, I'm just bringing you all on my own personal journey, because this is how I read the Bible. I just ask a lot of questions. I show up to meetings, even this is how I just live my life. I just ask a lot of questions. Like, why are we doing that? Can we do it this way? Why is this person here? Like, just asking questions. It's like, oh, Nicodemus, why was Nicodemus there? And I just dig into it and then you find out it's like, this is a, a, an incredible story, an incredible Easter person. So we're gonna read through the accounts and look at how and why Joseph is an Easter person and what it means for us today. So after the death of Jesus, after these demonstrations of power, before the resurrection, John 19 says this. It says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus. So just here, we're gonna stop. We learned a couple of things. We know where he's from. And we know that he's a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, that's interesting. So he's a a secret disciple of Jesus for fear of the Jews. He asked Pilate, who by the way, was the governor of Judea. He was a big wig guy. I would like to know if you have access to our governor. (laughs) Probably not with all due respect. Most people don't. Most people cannot just approach a high official and make a request of them. But think about this, he's a secret disciple and yet he's going to the governor and asking for the body of Jesus. Doesn't sound so secret anymore. This would have been a public declarative moment to the people around him that he was in fact a follower and a disciple of Jesus. But he's going to the governor and he's asking, look at this, that he might take away the body of Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever thought about how does Jesus' body actually go from the cross to the tomb, but this is how. It's thanks to Joseph of Arimathea that Jesus' body didn't get what it was supposed to have gotten, which was a disgraced, public, shallow grave. In their time, it would have been culturally... um, Warranted for anybody who was tried as a criminal and crucified or executed in any way They forego their rights to a proper burial and they would have been buried in a public shallow grave That would have been the last and ultimate and final and worst disgrace of all That's where jesus was supposed to go That's where his his body was supposed to be But joseph's not okay with that and for some reason this is the questions i'm asking what compels joseph? to go to the governor and ask for the body of Jesus, the dead murdered body of Jesus. So he's asking this and look at what it says. It says, and Pilate gave him permission. So Pilate says, yes. And this sentence, I don't want it to to get past us. And I don't want us to miss the the profoundness of the statement It says, so he came and took away his body. It's a secret disciple. It wasn't John, it wasn't Matthew, it wasn't Peter. It's a secret disciple who's not content with the fact that Jesus's body was going to be thrown into a public, shallow, disgraced grave. So he goes and he asks for the body and he, t- he takes the body. And then it says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews is this beautiful moment where they say, he deserves a proper burial. They're gonna honor him in his death. And they're not doing it for Jesus to be proud of them because he's dead. They're not doing it because they want Jesus to know that they're good because Jesus is dead. We're talking about the, body, the dead body of Jesus, but they want to give him a proper burial. And Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he was also a secret disciple because he was a Pharisee. Who was a Pharisee? A Pharisee would have been the ones who were, who were calling for the death of Jesus. They were the religious leaders of the time who were against Jesus. So we see the good guys, where are they? I don't know, but these guys that we would have considered bad, they're here. It's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus caring for the body of Christ and taking it off of the cross and giving him the proper burial that the body of Christ deserves. It says, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Pastor Lena preached a beautiful message last week that talks about the redemptive nature of this garden, that this would have been the garden where there was the first fall of humanity and the first sin. And then it's in that same place where redemption comes. It says, so because of the Jewish day of preparation, which we mentioned, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. I want you to see this picture that's gonna be our backdrop for all of the verses. This is a picture of, of Joseph taking the body of Christ off of the cross. And we know from scripture that they drove stakes through his wrists and stakes through his feet. It's not him to the cross. So taking the body of Christ off of the cross would not have been an easy task. It's not like a funeral home would show up with a casket and a mortician. They're taking a bloody body, clean his body. And in this moment that Joseph is embracing the body of Christ off of the cross, it would have been a mess. This is an all-in moment of life. He's embracing the blood of Jesus even on himself. He's seeing the wounds. He's embracing the murdered body of Jesus. A secret disciple. I think this is a beautiful picture. And honestly, it's a very G-rated version. The other scene would have been much more violent. So we learn here that Joseph's a secret disciple. We learn that he asked Pilate for the body. We know that he takes the body. We know that Nicodemus, a Pharisee, is with him. We know it's the day of preparation. We know they give him a proper burial. And we know they place Christ in a tomb in the garden. Matthew tells us this. It says, when it was evening, there came a rich man. Now we know he's, he's got money. There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body. He takes the body. He wraps it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb. So now we know that he's rich. And we know that it was actually his own tomb where he lays the body of Jesus, which he had cut in the rock. And listen to this, it says, and he rolled the great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Ever wondered how the stone got there? We know how it miraculously rolls away, but how did the stone get there? Well, now we know that it's Joseph who actually rolls the stone in front. Joseph gives him his own tomb and Joseph rolls the stone in front of the tomb. Mark tells us, when, it was e- when evening had come since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. So they're getting all the things ready for the Sabbath because everything was coming to a screeching halt on the Sabbath. So the trial was rushed. The crucifixion was rushed. The burial was kind of rushed because everything would have come to a screeching halt. So what we know as Good Friday would have been a silent Friday to them with a long day of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. waiting. Says Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council. What is the council? This is an important part because when I talk about oh, there's the good guys and there's not the good guys. Well, the not good guys would have been the council. These are the ones who were driving the angry mobs to crucify Jesus. Joseph was one of them, and I think that that's important. And we're going to look at all of the instances where the council was and what the council did. And yet it's one of them who secretly is following Jesus and cares enough about him to go get his body off of the cross. So he's a respected member of the council who is also himself looking for the kingdom of God. I just want you to know that you will find what you are looking for. If you're looking for things to complain about, you can make a fast list you wanna think about all the things not going right in your world, you can, you will find what you are looking for. But if you wanna find the kingdom of God and you're looking for it, I can promise that you'll find that also because God is doing things on the earth through for Joseph too, through us and we can be a part of it and you you will find what you are looking for and I think that's true for Joseph too. And then it says here that he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So we find out that this was actually a really bold move for Joseph to ask Pilate for the body. Part of it is because Joseph was a member of the council. That's why he was a secret member. So the very ones who were calling for Jesus to be crucified, he's actually a secret follower. And now he's boldly asking Pilate for the body, basically putting a target on his own back. At this point, when he boldly asks Pilate for the body, he's 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 willing to lay it all down. His career, his reputation, his relationships, his own safety, he's laying it all down at the moment of asking Pilate for the body. Because there were times in the trial of Jesus where Pilate's like, who are your disciples? Where are they at? And they're like in the middle of beating Jesus. So no wonder the disciples were like, peace. I ain't your, I ain't your guy. I'm not your boy. I'm not here for you. And we, we read it sometimes, honestly, we can be a little judgy of the guys that were there, but we have to remember that we have the gift of perspective. We know how the story goes. We know how the story ends. They did not, they were living it out in real time. And when they're there brutally beating and about to murder and calling for the death of this guy. And then they're like, hey, where are your disciples? They're gonna, they're gonna flee. They're gonna, they're gonna leave. They don't wanna be there because they could be next. Because if this guy, he's, they think they were trying to accuse Jesus of leading a rebellion against the government and, and gathering followers to do that. Well, if he's going to be crucified, then we're going to gather all of his people. and We're going to shut this rebellion down. And that's what the disciples were afraid of. And that's why we don't see the disciples here. This is why Peter denies Jesus. Because they could have been next. And yet, in this moment, Joseph is willing to put that own target on his back by boldly and courageously asking Pilate for the body of Jesus. So he took courage and asked Pilate. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. This is my translation. I wanted to share this with you. It says he granted the corpse to Joseph. Because the fact that this was pre-resurrection is important. It was a bloodied corpse. It was a dead body. This is what he's risking it all for. It's not even the resurrected Jesus that we have the perspective of. Joseph is willing to lay it all down just for the corpse of Jesus. It says, and Joseph bought a linen shroud, which historians believe they have found. It's in a museum somewhere. They believe that it is the shroud that was around the face of Jesus. It would have been the shroud that Joseph bought and wrapped him in says, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Could you imagine any of the Easter story without this? It's the empty tomb that pointed to the resurrected Jesus. It was a stone rolled away that pointed to the resurrected Jesus. It was the folded up shroud where Jesus had been laid that pointed to the resurrected Jesus, all because somebody who was a secret disciple was not content with the body of Jesus being thrown into a shallow public disgrace grave. So we learn a few more things from Mark. Luke tells us, it says, now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, which now we have some perspective on, a good and righteous man. Listen to this part. This is fascinating. It says, who had not consented to their decision and action. Their decision to say he's worthy of death. Put him to death. Crucify him. Take him and make sure we take him to the right people to make sure he's crucified. That was the council that Joseph was a member of. And although he was a member of that council, he did not consent to their decision. He lived with integrity. The Bible says that he was good and he was righteous and he stood up for what was right in those moments. It said, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down. So we know that he took the body of Jesus down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. And it, it, it would have been the council, it would have been the Pharisees, it would have been the Jewish leaders that made up all, all these rules for people. And it's not always those who are following the right rules that are actually for Jesus. Because following Jesus isn't about rules, it's about a relationship with Jesus. And so this text says here that on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. They, they, I don't imagine there was a lot of like emotional, mental, soul rest going on that Sabbath day. I'd imagine there was a lot of angst. I'd imagine there was a lot of tension. But everything just came to a halt that day. So we learn a lot about Joseph from a few verses. And I think it's important to know that as a member of the council, some some of the moments where Joseph would have been and some of the decisions that were actually made that he did not consent to and the actions that followed from those decisions that he did not agree with. So let's look at what some of that was. So the council would have been driving and calling for the death of Jesus Those who were calling from, those were Joseph's colleagues. They were his people. When Jesus was betrayed, arrested, tried, and killed. The Bible describes it as an angry crowd sent by the council. The very council Joseph's a part of sent the angry crowd and the Pharisees. The Bible says that they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons and swords and clubs. That they were angry. They were the ones who conspired with Judas. These, These people were just spewing anger. That's why we don't see his disciples around. Maybe we can cut him a little bit of slack, you know? The Bible also says that it was the council that Joseph was a part of that employed the Roman soldiers. One of the texts describes it as a detachment of Roman soldiers that was present there at the arrest of Jesus. That would have been 600 Roman soldiers. 600, so it's talking about an angry crowd. Within that angry crowd would have been 600 soldiers sent by the council. And I just imagine Joseph in all of those moments being like, I don't agree. I don't think we should do that. There was one guy consistently speaking up against all of these things that they were doing falsely against Jesus. These were intense moments. So I wonder for Joseph what it would have been like to have been a part of that group of people that was driving all of this, than to have seen him be crucified to see him murdered, to see the earth go dark, to, to, to experience the earthquakes, to see the dead come out of the tomb and go into the cities. What would it have been like for Joseph? He would have known that this is in fact, Jesus, the Messiah, the savior who's come to take away the sin of the world. And I believe that it's because of that revelation that Jesus is who Jesus says he is, that compelled him to lay it all on the line for Jesus because he sees himself as a sinner. He knows that he's guilty of his own sin. And yet Jesus has just died on the cross to take away that sin. And that's worthy of being all in. That's worthy of taking his body off the cross. That's worthy of putting a target on his own back. That's worth, that, that makes Jesus worthy of laying it all down. He's worthy of it all there were six times that the council brought Jesus before a different group of people in the trial. Six times, there were three before the Jewish people and then there were three before the Romans because the, the, the council didn't actually have legal right to execute Jesus. And so the first Jewish phase was the trial before Anna the high priest who would have been like the head of the council, think of it as kind of like the Supreme Court. They bring him. They bring Jesus before this council. This is the first time that Jesus is struck in the face. Joseph is there. Not agreeing with their decision to do this. The second Jewish phase was before Caiaphas in the Sanhedrin, which would have been the council and the high priest at that time. This is where they're looking for false evidence and they're rushing this and this is happening at night because the next day is Sabbath. They're looking for false evidence to put him to death. They had false witnesses come forward. They blindfolded him, beat him, mocked him and spit on him at this trial. The Bible says that they all condemned him worthy of death except for there would have been Joseph. We know that Joseph would have been there. This is where Peter denies Jesus in the courtyard of the high priest. And then the third Jewish phase was before the Sanhedrin. Luke 22 tells us that Jesus came before the council. This was Joseph's council and the council had met and they had Jesus before them and they had reached the decision to put him to death. This is where we see that Judas, who betrayed Jesus, along with the council, they conspired. This is where Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, the Bible says that he was so filled with sorrow for his actions that led to this. He was so filled with sorrow that he took his own life. But wouldn't Joseph have also, at some level, have been complicit in the death of Jesus? So there are these options of like, we're either going to take our own guilt and shame and take it into our own hands or we come to the body of Christ and we go all in for Jesus with our guilt. And then those, so those were the three Jewish phases. The first Roman phase is Jesus before Pilate. Pilate who was the governor. Pilate who consistently does not see that Jesus is guilty. Pilate consistently wants no part of being responsible for the death and execution of Jesus. Pilate consistently says, not my guy, take him over here. So the first Roman phase was Jesus brought before Pilate and he says, y'all don't have a right to do this. Um, And then he sends him to Herod. He goes, oh, this is actually Herod's territory. Mine's over here. This is your guy. Take him to that one and he'll do it. Pilate's just constantly just trying to get this off of his hands. And then Pilate's like, uh, or Herod is like, nope, not my guy. You take him back. He's like the boomerang, man. Jesus just keeps coming back to Pilate. Just keeps coming back to him. This is where he's mocked and ridiculed. In front of Herod is where they would have dressed him in robes. The Bible says here too, that in front of Herod, it says that the council vehemently accuses Jesus. That's such a strong word. This is a word that just, I picture like like the angry, seething kind of contempt where spits just flying out of, like they're just so angry, so vehemently angry, vehemently crying for his death. Those would have been Joseph's colleagues. And then the third Roman phase comes back to Pilate again. So Jesus is accused of leading a rebellion, but there's this other guy accused of the same thing. His name is Barabbas, but Barabbas was actually guilty of doing that which they were accusing Jesus for. So Pilate's thinking, well, if, it, if they're upset with Jesus because he's a rebel, I'll give them Barabbas because he's actually guilty of it. And, and as was custom to release a prisoner, he's hoping, hey, I'll offer them Barabbas and they'll take Barabbas and then I'm not... Still, he's, he's trying to get out of being guilty for the death of Jesus. So they, he offers Barabbas, and if you remember in the story, they say, no, give us Jesus. We want Jesus dead. And it would have been Joseph's colleagues calling for that even then. This is where in the third Roman phase before Pilate, that they would have twisted together the crown of thorns and, and shoved it into his head. This is where they put a robe on him, and, and Jesus is flogged cries to kill him. And this is the iconic moment where Pilate literally washes his hands to symbolize that he is not responsible for the execution of Jesus because the Bible says that he was a coward and he was afraid of the angry mob. And he's wanting to please the crowd. So we see a a pretty big difference between the bravery of Joseph of Arimathea and Pilate. Pilate who's wanting to appease the crowd and Joseph who's willing to put it all out there. And then Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified. So this is the Pilate that Joseph courageously goes to, to ask for the body of Jesus. And then Jesus is crucified at that moment. And then there were the demonstrations of power where the earth goes dark and there were earthquakes and, and the dead were raised. And then there's Joseph. So that's a little bit of the backstory. And then we see Joseph come in, a prominent member of the council, a secret disciple of Jesus who had been involved in all of these moments, knows that Jesus was going to be laid in a shallow, disgraceful grave. Something about what he knows about Jesus compels him to go to Pilate, to ask for the body of Christ and then to take it off of the cross and to give him a proper burial. So what makes Joseph an Easter person? What makes Joseph an Easter person is that, one, is that despite the confusion and the terror of the moment, Joseph took a bold and faithful stand. This is one of the things that makes Joseph an Easter person. Joseph didn't see all of the pieces of what God was doing. Joseph didn't know that Christ was going to be resurrected, even though Jesus said that. It wasn't for sure when or how or what it was going to look like. He was simply honoring the body of Christ because he saw that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Joseph doesn't know how all of these things are going to come together and still he acts with boldness and he acts with courage. Joseph didn't know when he gives him his own tomb that this was going to be the key evidence that points to the resurrected Jesus. He didn't know. He didn't know when he's purchasing with his own money the the linen in which the body of Jesus is wrapped with. He doesn't know that it's going to be that same linen that's left there because the body is no longer there. Joseph is just simply acting out of love for Jesus. He's just simply all in for Jesus in this moment. And I wonder if, for some of us, if we're more calculated than Joseph was in that moment when God's asking us to do something. I wonder how many times there's this moment to be all in for Jesus where he wants to use us in profound ways, but we're calculated. We want to know how the pieces fit together. We want to know exactly what God is doing, but the word says that God works in secret. So there's a moment for us as we follow Jesus to trust him that he is good and that he is for us. And we don't have to have all of the pieces in order to walk in obedience to him. That we can step out in faith and we can step out in boldness because we know that God is good. And we see that in Joseph. The second thing is, is that we see that Joseph was all in for the body of Christ. And we have the privilege of knowing that he's also the resurrected Christ. We have the privilege of knowing that he's the resurrected Christ at the right hand of the Father. And, and Joseph was all in for him because he saw that Jesus was worthy of it. And if you're here today and you know that Jesus is the, is the Messiah, you know that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, that makes you an Easter person. And if you know that reality to be true for you and you know that it has, has, you have been forgiven of your own sin, knowing that should change the way that we live. It changed the way that Joseph lived. It changed the way that Joseph responded. That reality, that revelation had an impact on Joseph to the point that where, to where he acted on it. It changed everything for him. He was willing to lay it all down in that moment because he saw that Jesus was worthy of it all. And I think sometimes as Christians, sometimes even born again Christians, we can be so calculated and so metriced in it. and we allow Jesus to operate on Tuesdays from four to six o'clock and maybe at eight o'clock in the morning on Wednesdays and we're, we're calculated in it. and we're like, Jesus, I, I know that you died on the cross for me and I'll come to church some and maybe I'll be in a small group and maybe I'll serve on the team and, and maybe I'll tip you some. We almost have this, I'll tip you kind of attitude towards the crucified Jesus. It's essentially this feeling of like, I'm content with a shallow disgraceful grave for Christ. And as I was reading the story, I felt so convicted in my own life of the times that I have put anything as more important than the body of Christ, the crucified body of Christ for my sins. Even as a pastor in ministry, is it helping people find their gifts and talents and their passions and their purpose. You know what's really important? The body of Christ. The body of Christ is more important. And if we're not cognizant and we live from this place of this revelation, then anything can become more important. Anything can. Well, this doesn't fit my passions. This doesn't fire me up or my calendar's already too full or uh, God's, he's just not, he's not worthy of it all. And I'm telling you today that if you can understand that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for your sins, he is worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of us lifting our hands in worship. He's worthy of us being all in. He's worthy of us waking up every day like we understand that we are on mission for the resurrected Jesus because he has died for the sins of humanity. Because without that, what's the alternative? Is that we have to pay for our own sins. But because Jesus took that price upon himself, he is worthy of all of me. And I think that Joseph as an Easter person was all in for the body of Jesus, for the body of Christ. There's a call to us today to do the same, to be all in with like reckless abandon, all in for the body of Christ where we don't hold back. We don't hold back. Is he, is he worth it to me? You know what church, he's worth it. He's worth it because I was dead and now I'm, found, I'm alive. I was lost and now I'm found. I was, I was sick and now I'm healed. He found me and he healed me. Where would I be if it were not for Jesus? He's worthy of it all. And because he found me, he saved me, I can live my life with reckless abandon for him. And we can be that same kind of Easter person. There's a difference between an admirer and a follower. And I don't wanna be an admirer of Jesus. I wanna be a follower of Jesus. And the difference is the level of sacrifice of the follower, a sacrifice that's driven by love because love at the core of its definition entails a sacrificial component. Love is not love until it's sacrificial. Love's not love until it costs you something. Do you love Jesus today? Can we be all in for him sacrificially? There's a quote that says, the difference between an admirer and a follower still remains no matter where you are. The admirer never makes any true sacrifices. He always plays it safe. Do you know who played it safe? was Pilate. Pilate played it safe. Pilate, he was fine to hand him over. He washed his hands of it, still made him guilty. And there's a moment even where Jesus tells Pilate, like, you only have this authority to crucify me because God gave it to you in the first place. And it was kind of shaking for Pilate. And then Jesus tells him, well, it's worse for the one who handed me over to you, which would have been the council. It would have been Joseph. The actual body of Christ deserves our care, our honor, our love, our devotion, our respect, our sacrifice to be all in for him. I want to encourage you today to not give Jesus boundaries on your life. To not withhold certain aspects of your heart from him. To withhold certain relationships. That all of it he's worth laying. Not godly. Like you know. That he's worth all of it. He's worth laying it all down. If there's a a career path that's keeping you from what Christ has for you. It's worth laying it down. If there are relationships in your life. It's worth laying it down. If there are addictions you're holding on to. It's worth laying it down. If there are mindsets and patterns and routines. Any of it. It's worth laying it down for the sake of Christ. I believe that. Joseph was driven by love. John 15, 13 says, Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And because of Joseph's sacrificial all in love for Jesus, I want to share the next part of the story, which is an amazing story. And we largely are familiar with this part of the story, but now we know how we got here. I want you to imagine the Easter story without Joseph's contribution. Matthew 28 says, now after the Sabbath, all right, Sabbath is over. <laughs> take a deep breath, like let's get back to what we were doing before this, like a whole day of just waiting. It says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The very stone that Joseph and I rolled there out of love and honor for Jesus is now miraculously being rolled away. And I just want to remind you that God is working in secret. We don't have to know all the pieces, but there's a stone that is rolled away. It says, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you, some of this eyewitness accounts, he said, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. (laughs) We can live in the tension of both. And he ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. We should just bring that word back, greetings. (laughs) And they came to him and took hold of his feet. Do you know what would have been there? Thomas finds out later. We kind of throw a shade on Thomas for it, but he's like, I wanna see it. He would have seen the holes from from his feet being hung on the cross. So as they came and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now imagine this story without Joseph's impact. Imagine if if Jesus had gotten what he deserved according to the council. Imagine if Jesus had ended up in a shallow, public, disgraceful grave. Imagine the Easter story with no stone being rolled away, no angel sitting on top of it, no empty tomb, no no Mary and Mary sitting across from it, shouting that he's not there. It's incredible what can come from a life fully surrendered to Jesus. And this is our, we have like one action step today, church, and it's to be all in for Jesus, to totally surrender our lives to Jesus to totally be all in for Jesus. Because nothing in our lives is actually more important than the body of Christ. There comes a moment in this story where there's this, as I was reading, it, just that moment of repentance. So I just want you to be a little reflective. If you've got a worship guide, there's a place in there for you to take notes. We end each service with a response time. We ask you a few questions. I'd encourage you just to journal what your answers are. We're gonna end taking communion together. there comes opportunities where we get to realign our priorities, we get to realign our faith, we get to realign what we are really about. And the reality is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that we were lost and now we're found, that we were guilty and now we are forgiven and that changes how we live. So a question for you today is what steps steps of faith do you need to boldly take? What is maybe God been moving you to do, but you're being calculated and you wanna see all the pieces. I wanna encourage you today that God is working in secret. And if you will be bold and, and full of faith, he is working on your behalf. And you get to see this beautiful resurrection moment, miracles on your behalf, if you can trust God even on the darkest day. Trust God when the earth goes silent. Trust God when everything is dark. Trust God when there's a tomb and things look dead and there's a stone sealed in front of it. Can you trust God that he's working in secret on your behalf? And then what are you holding back from for being, being all in for Jesus? Where do you have boundaries on Jesus? Jesus, I'll go to church, but like once a month. Jesus, I'll go to church, but like only at these times. And, and Jesus, I'll, I'll like kind of tip you, do, do we, are we living in like a, a God, I'll tip you kind of attitude towards Christ. And I think that the answer for all of us is yes. The answer for all of us is yes. Like we all can repent for something in this regard. And there's no salvation without repentance. And so if you're here today and you're like, I've never accepted Jesus. This is a great moment for you to accept the price that was paid for you to be made right with God. And as we kind of end our response time, we have communion up here. And usually we have like little cubs, you peel it back and you go back to your seat. We're gonna do it a little differently today. We have a loaf of bread and, and a, a cup of the juice. And you're invited to come down in a moment during the response time, you're gonna break off a piece of the bread, you're gonna dip it in the cup and then you're gonna take communion. And there's going to be a prayer partner and they're going to speak something prophetically over you as you take it, as you break the bread, they're going to say to you, his body broken for you. And as you dip it in the cup, they're going to say to you, your sins are forgiven. They're not forgiving your sins. They're prophetically speaking over you the truth of the power of the cross over your life. So i want to invite you to let communion be a part of your worshipful response to Jesus today. Matthew 26, 26, Jesus is sharing a meal with his disciples before he's crucified. It says, now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, the, for many for the forgiveness of sins. And church, we get to partake in that today. We get to partake in this moment of communion, of understanding that his body was broken for us. And we get to resonate like Joseph and respond by just fully surrendering our lives to Jesus, knowing that his blood was spilled for us. So church, if you would go ahead and stand I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer. And then as a the team leads us, we invite you to come down. There may be a little bit of a way for a line, but they're here, they're ready to serve you. If you need prayer for anything, healing, his body is broken for you, come get prayer. If there's something you need to confess to someone else, be bold and do that. Joseph boldly with the pilot, we can boldly come down and we can boldly get prayer. And we can boldly say, Jesus, I've been wrong for these things. Jesus, I've been calculated in my response. Jesus, I've been trying to demand that you show me all the pieces before I act out in faith. God, you don't owe me any of that. What you've done is enough. And what I love about Joseph is that, that the body of Christ was enough for him to be all in. But church, we know that there's a resurrected Jesus. So I invite you to come be a part of communion today receive prayer, just in your own prayer time, just repent for whatever it is. The prayer partners are here and ready to do that with you. But mostly there's a call for us to be all in for Jesus. We can can be an Easter people along with Joseph and we can be all in for the body of Christ. We can show him the love, the care, and the honor that the body of Christ deserves. Lord, we thank you for this moment Lord, I pray that in our hearts, our minds, whatever's going on, that we'll know there is nothing more important right now than this moment this is the most important moment for us where we can say yes to you, where we can say yes to the cross and we can can come to you with repentant hearts, God. We can acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a savior. And if that's you and you've never made that confession, I would love to pray for you right now. You can even boldly lift your hand. You can put your hand on your heart, but this salvation moment may be just for you today, Lord. I confess that I am a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus, I invite you to be the Lord of my life. God, I step out of the driver's seat of of driving my own life and I surrender fully to you, Jesus. Would you be the Lord and the savior of my life in Jesus' name? Lord, we repent for the times that we have made anything more important than the body of Christ. Lord, we repent for the times that we've been calculated. God, we repent for the times that we've held back or had rigid boundaries on where you can and can't go. And Lord, from this moment, we declare that we are a church that is all in for the body of Christ. I'm not gonna hold back, God, because you're worthy of it all. God, you are worthy of my worship. You are worthy of my hands lifted. You are worthy of my time. You are worthy of my talent. You are worthy of my treasure. You are worthy of my relationships. You are worthy of me confessing and repenting. God, you are worthy of me lowering my pride and apologizing to somebody or making a relationship right. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. And if you can say that today, you wanna lift your hands and worship and just say, just tell him, You are worthy of it all. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I know that you alone are worthy. You alone paid the price for my sin. And Jesus, I worship you. God, I thank you for the body of Christ that was broken for me. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, Tell us your story by emailing mystory at thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.